This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thanks for joining me. Do appreciate your time in uh, checking out AHP, listening to the show, all the people that donate and all the people that listen to the show, provide feedback, voicemails and call into the show. Thank you very, very much. Today's show, we're talking with Cheryl Arnold from the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party out of Tasmania. I want to thank Adrian for organising this interview for me. He's arranged this interview and also an interview with his wife some time ago for the Everyday Hunter series. So I think it's time, Adrian, (laughs) you actually come on the show. You've organised a couple of great interviews, so perhaps I think it's your turn to come on the show. Uh, Cheryl, uh, running for the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party Tasmania, uh, is running in the seat of Rumney at the Tasmanian by-election on May 6th, 2008. And 17. So if you're in that area, listen to this show, see if uh, Cheryl and what they're wanting to achieve for the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, you know, resonates with you to vote for Cheryl in that particular seat. That would be awesome. And uh, we, we talk about a lot of different stuff like self-defense, uh, appearance laws. We talk about a uh, major one of self-defense, you know, what Cheryl wants to achieve in Parliament uh, and what, the, what we can expect, I guess, if she's voted in by the people at that May 6th by-election. So great show. Uh, check it out. As usual, guys, the thoughts and opinions of the guests are their own and don't necessarily represent the views of the Australian Hunting Podcast. And also, two guys wanted to mention, I did mention on the last show, we are on Patreon. So if you want to go to patreon.com AHP for just a few dollars, you can support the show. You can get exclusive podcasts before our regular listeners by being part of the Patreon group. Also, too, if you are on PayPal and you're happy to stay there, that's cool, guys. Two thumbs up. If you want to cancel your PayPal subscription, go over to patreon.com forward slash AHP and uh, become a patron to get those benefits. You can absolutely do that, too. Uh, There's no issue with that whatsoever. So, enjoyable show, guys. I hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, let's get into my interview. Cheryl Arnold of the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, Tasmania. Hi, this is Jay Lim, contestant from Top Shot Season 2, and you're listening to The Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Cheryl Arnold, welcome to The Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining me, uh, representing the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party uh, of Tasmania. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jason. I'm pleased to be here. No worries. I want to find out who is Cheryl. Tell us about yourself. I guess people don't know who you are. No, that's true. Um, look, I'm a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a firearm owner. I'm currently Deputy Mayor of Glamorgan Spring Bay Council. I'm involved with the Forest Practices Authority as a director, uh, director of the South East Trade Training Centre. I've been a competition clay target and trap shooter for, uh, trap and skeet shooter for more than 40 years. Um, I've been around the firearm industry and forestry industry for pretty much all my working life. So um, that's why I have an interest in it um, at the moment. How did you actually get into the shooting sports? Was it a family tradition? Was it mum? Was it dad? Was it something you picked up as a a teenager? Look, I started going to gun clubs with my dad about 60 years ago when I was all of five years old. I was secretary of um, a gun club here called the East Coast Gun Club in 1971 and I just decided I wanted to learn to shoot. So I asked dad to take me to buy a gun and the rest, as they say, is history. Of course, buying a firearm in those days was a whole lot easier than what it is now. Um, I originally started off with a 20-gauge, a Winchester 20-gauge, and a friend bought me a gun case for my 21st birthday. He always said he'd bought some fairly rare 21st birthday presents, but a gun case for a girl in the 1970s was right up there in the rarity case. Yeah, yeah. I just want to find out, what was it like back then too? You you said it's a lot different uh, than it is now. In what way is it different, say, from 40 years ago to the present day today? Oh, it's just in terms of buying a firearm. In 1971, you could basically go into any gun shop anywhere and uh, just and purchase what you wanted. I mean, these days, of course, you've got to go through all the permit to acquire process and and everything else. Uh, Abide by the Act, have your category, your correct category license, and all of that. So the ease back in in the 1970s was so much better. I remember years ago when I used to in my local area, I used to go to Kmart. They used to sell them freely in Kmart. If you remember that. 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I used to go down to the um, yeah, uh, section, uh, down the back of uh, Kmart. I remember it was down the uh, far left section, down at the back, and uh, you'd uh, be on the racks and everything. It was pretty pretty different yeah, okay. to what it is today. Exactly. Kmart used to sell ammunition here in Tasmania, so, yeah, I can remember that well. So let's talk about, I guess you, you say, trap and skeet shooting. What uh, What attracted you to that particular discipline and clay target shooting? Oh, probably because that's what Dad did. You know, basically, Dad was a trap shooter. He was never a skeet shooter. I'm, I started skeet shooting because my husband. But um, and I don't hunt. You know, I, there's nothing better than a, a wild duck dinner. But I don't hunt. Unfortunately, I live with a duck hunter. I've, I've been married to Glenn for 37 years. So we did go. We did go hunting one time, very long time ago. I must be getting close to 30 years ago now. And I walked for ages, shot four quail, found mussels I didn't even know I owned, and decided then and there that the trap trap layout was probably the better place for me to be. When you when you first met your husband, was he already into shooting and duck shooting and those sort of things or duck hunting and that? Yeah, he was. Uh, he came down, we, we met um, a, lo- a long time, 40-odd years ago, or more than 40 years ago now, and uh, he came down to uh, meet my family and first thing my dad said to him, do you shoot, boy? And he said, better bring your gun down and come to the gun club. So he basically started shooting at the gun club because of me, but he, <laughs> had, <right>. been, <laughs> he had been a duck hunter. He's been He's uh, 67 now. He's been a duck hunter for... Um, pretty much all his life, 60-odd years. So. so was it Glenn or was it Greg? Sorry, Glenn? Glenn. Glenn, yes. Yeah, yeah. so I'd, I'd get yeah. on very well with Glenn. I, Even though I live in New South Wales and um, duck hunting is you know, technically banned, we still be able to do it on the uh, rice fields of New South Wales. So I get to do yeah. it one and a half weeks a year. I probably should come down to Victoria and do some uh, duck hunting down there during the season, but sometimes it's a or bit hard. Or even Tasmania. We've, we've got a three-month season down here. Oh, there you go. Maybe I should move to Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, um, and and I go, you know, I, I do go out fishing sometimes. So we we've got a, a thirty two foot ex professional fishing boat, and uh, I go out on that um, during rock lobster season and go flathead fishing. And um, my husband bought me a Stormy Seas for Christmas, so I really don't have an excuse not to go on the boat now. So exactly, do you, talking about the trap and clay target shooting, is there anything else you're into? So say. You know, rifles, uh, pistols, any other thing, or just purely just clay targets at this stage, or no? I've look. I've had I've had a couple of guys at pistols, and I've had a couple of guys at rifle. Um, pistol shooting didn't didn't turn out that well. I shot in a um, inter club shoot between our local clay target club and the pistol and rifle club, and ended up with a piece of um, lead in my forehead. A uh, ricochet came back on the pistol and. Um, which I've still got a piece of lead in my forehead now. And, um, but, no, I, I've never really been into rifles and pistols. Um, but, you know, respect the, the people that do use them because, you know, they take a fair bit of talent to to uh, compete in rifle and pistol shooting. Uh, I suppose the only real uh, real um, involvement I had with pistol and rifle was when I was uh, with Australian International Shooting and, and I was chairman of selectors for the Olympic and Commonwealth Games teams. And so I became involved involved in terms of an administration side for pistols and rifles then. What are you seeing down in, in Tasmania in regards to gun ownership? Are you seeing an increase? Are you seeing it's a, it's a positive thing? Is it, is it in trouble? What are your thoughts on the general thoughts of uh, gun ownership and uh, you know, hunting, I guess, as well, and target shooting in Tasmania? The data would suggest that, that there's a lot more people um, coming into shooting, um, certainly a lot more people coming into firearm ownership. Um, I, I think I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but I believe there's a, a, a large number of people who have come into into uh, firearm ownership in the last, say, 10 years. Um, I it's difficult, of course, to do that because there's so many laws around, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. And that's probably the, that's really sort of the catalyst for me standing for the Legislative Council seat of Romney because it's time that the government started to look at common sense laws. But as my husband regularly says, there's not too much, you know, the problem with common sense is it's not terribly common. And um, so I, I just really want to have some sort of involvement in being able to um, debate sensible laws for people, for law-abiding citizens, because right now the laws that they're giving us are really treating us as criminals, and it's wrong. What do you think the differences are? Like, obviously the laws changed, as you'd probably know, in 1996, for an example. Now, it was obviously different, different as you said, about 40 years ago. 
Do you think it's it's changed uh, for the better? Do you think some laws, uh, you know, are, are worse than others? Do you think there's any benefit that came from the 1996, say, say NFA compared to what it was when you said 40 years ago, were you disabled just to buy a gun? I can't really see any benefit, to be honest. Um, I don't have a problem with having a gun license as such. I mean, you have a license to drive a car, so I suppose, you know, you should, you, you should or could have a, a license to own a firearm. I have a major problem with the fact that we have to have all our firearms registered. I don't see the need to have all our firearms registered. Um, and really, I think there's been, since since firearms have been registered and there's been a database, if you like, of where firearms are, then there's been you know greater incidences of break-ins and and criminal and and, and criminal offences in relation to stealing of firearms. Um, I, I just don't see the benefit of it. I mean, forty years ago we didn't have the problems that we have now, um, and there seems to be this this feeling that the problem has been caught. The problem of of um, criminal um, offences has been caused by legitimate firearm owners and I mean I, th- I don't think that there's anything further from the truth there. The problem I think stems from um, other criminal activity for example the drug trade you know firearms are probably um, linked to the drug trade to some extent um, in terms of it becomes a, um, uh, a commodity if you like for the drug trade and I think that's uh, that's the side where the where the police and the law enforcement agencies have to actually look at rather than treating law-abiding firearm owners as the criminal. I'll touch on something you said just in a little while, a bit, bit later on. It'll probably come more in handy then as we get through some other questions. But uh, uh, does Cheryl, does she have a favourite firearm that she owns? No, I don't. Look, I love all my firearms. Um, and even, even, though I'm, even, even though I'm not uh, a, a rifle shooter as such, I've got some rifles that belong to my dad. My dad's passed away now and I've got some rifles that uh, belong to him and I'd say I love all my firearms. Um, I've got a, a Shooter Fab um, STL trap gun and a Moroccan 9000 skeet gun. So, you know, um, I guess if I've got a favourite, it's those two. How did you, not just getting involved with the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, why did you want to get involved in politics and the SSFP in particular? I think it's fair to say I've been in politics for a very long time. I've been um, involved in local government for this part of 20 years. So I've been mayor and deputy mayor and councillor and in our local council here. And from a political point of view, um, I've been involved in um, various consultative groups with uh, the firearms consultative groups set up by various um, police ministers. Um, I sat on the Sporting Shooters and Firearms Advisory Council in Canberra at one time. So politically, I've been around um, for a long time. In terms of shooters and fishers, um, I have uh, I've watched, you know, their 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 um, evolution, if you like, since about 1992. I think they got going in New South Wales, and so I've just seen what they've done for in other states. And you know, they've got people elected now, and I've seen what they've done in other states for firearm owners and for a number of other things. Because one thing that needs to be re- recognised here is that they are not a one-issue party. They have uh, a number of really solid policies um, on the recreational pursuits of a lot of people, not just necessarily firearms, but also other areas too, environment, environmental and um, health and a number of other things. So I think it's just, I think they probably uh, have a, a sensible outlook on, uh, on the way we should be governed. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. 
Looking for a big weekend? Australia's biggest sports shooting and outdoor event, the SSAA Shot Expo, is now even bigger. With hunting gear and outdoor equipment from the world's biggest names, plus demonstrations, talks and entertainment for the whole family. Over 150 displays, one location, the SSAA Shot Expo. Melbourne Showgrounds, May 20th and 21st. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au for sponsors and the full program. You were just talking about, obviously, you've been in you know, local government, as you said, in sort of political areas. Now, uh, I know most of my colleagues, what, do you talk about shooting with your colleagues or do you try and keep it, you know, being in local government, sort of, you know, quote unquote, sort of under wraps or are you happy to talk about it? And if so, what's the reaction from your work colleagues? Everybody in local government knows that I'm a shooter. Believe me. Well, I remember... <laughs> I remember we. Um, I sat on a um, on on a, a, a local government um, subcommittee, if you like, and we were talking about um, eradication of feral cats at one time. And there was a whole multitude, a whole discussion around um, around how feral cats should be controlled. And um, one of the, the the mayors, this was a group of mayors from Southern Council, and one of the mayors who is now um, has now passed away said to the chairman, "Mr. Chairman, I have a solution for the feral cat problem." And of course, the chairman thought this was great because at the end of the day, we've been trying to get this solution for for a very long time. He said. Let Councillor Arnold loose with her twenty-two. So uh, it was, it was, you know, everybody knows. And and we had a um, we had a, a competition here, um, a club, a local club here, and uh, we were raising funds for the for the um, local aged care facility. And I had a team called the Mayor's Maulers. Well, the first year we competed. This is in trap. The first year we competed, I uh, we got mauled very badly. And uh, the second year we won the trophy. I happened to be the mayor of the council at the time, and nothing suited me. Then next council meeting, I arrived at the at, at my ta- at my table um, with the trophy and sat it up on on at on the front of the desk all through the council meeting. So everybody knows I'm I'm a I'm a firearm owner and a, and a competition shooter. And and look, I suppose in the you know if I think about it. I've had tremendous support from local government in relation to that too. You know, I mean, um, they they don't see me as um, a threat, if you like, which I think is really good because, unfortunately, the the image of firearm owners is that this redneck image, and uh, then they get they get five foot nothing me, who's the mayor of a council or deputy mayor of a council now, and and female. And that's really the last thing that they expect because firearm owners do have an image. Just tell us when the, because I didn't look this up before I did the show, probably should have, uh, the election. When did you, uh, when's the election in Tasmania? Which seat are you running for? It's the Legislative Council seat of Rumney and the election is on the 6th of May. Um, so it's very sh- it's a very short electioneering period. Um, they've only just issued the writ of election, I think, yesterday. So it's only about six weeks of electioneering. So although there's been a little bit happening prior to this, of course. Is that your local area or any particular reason they chose that area to run in that particular area? No, look, it isn't. It isn't. Uh, it's actually, if you like, next door. Um, so it's uh, the municipal area of Sorrell and Tasman and part of Clarence Municipality. The reason we chose that is simply because um, under the election process for um, uh, legislative council seats, every six years a number of seats come up for election and Rumney just happened to be close to me and available this year, if you like. So I think there's only three seats being contested this year. It's Rumney, Murchison and this one other, but I can't recall what that what, what that one is. So there's only three three legislative council seats being uh, contested this year. What draws you to politics, especially, you know, surrounding the uh, shooting and hunting industry? Probably just trying to get some sensible laws around um, firearm ownership for law-abiding citizens because... The laws as they sit at the moment, um, some of them are quite onerous and we really need to get some, we really need to get a common sense approach to it. And I recognise though that, you know, if I did get elected, I'm only one vote, but at least it would give me the opportunity to debate sensible laws. Now, I'll bring that one up now. I have heard this before, especially, I mean, I know it's generally a, a term used in politics as well by, especially by 
um, you know, different parts of people that don't like shooting, even some people that do like shooting, use that term sensible gun laws. What would you see as being you know, sensible gun laws? Because generally when the, the antis use it, sensible generally means you know, taking away more of my rights. So what would you consider sensible in regards to reform, especially, you know, I guess this would probably go for around the country as well, because I guess if reform happens in different states, you know, as you know, the NFA is only, uh, it's not really uh, binding, especially if the some states wanted to walk away from it. So what do you consider sensible in regards to firearms laws? You know, I'd never really thought about sensible gun laws in the context that you just said. But for me, sensible gun laws is is, is, a, is a law that I can abide by. You know, one of the situations that we have at the moment in Tasmania, and you're right about the NFA, the, the, but the NFA, the NFA does um, does actually, if you like, control gun laws in in Australia because each jurisdiction has to provide laws that actually um, are at least equal or better than what the COAG agrees to in terms of the NFA. But the one that I really struggle with right now is this, uh, it's in our regulations and it relates to the transport or conveying of firearms. It says that you can convey, your, your firearm has to be in a locked, has to be locked and the ammunition has to be completely separate. Now, what's the definition of completely separate? Is it um, my firearms in a case, locked, and my ammunition is in the slab that it comes in? separate in the boot of my car or does it mean that they actually have to be physically separate that is my firearm has to be in one part of the vehicle and my ammunition in the other part now my argument in that is that if i put my firearm in one part of the vehicle and my ammunition in the other part and which will be obviously in 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 the in, in the in the back seat or whatever it's going to be visible where if i have them both separate in the boot they're not visible but what is the definition of completely separate? And I can't get an answer of that from anybody. You know, you get an overzealous, you get an overzealous police officer, he might say they're not completely separate and, and seize your firearm. That's what I mean about sensible. So it's probably, sensible is probably not the right word. It might be more around, around, as I said, common sense. You know, common sense says that you put both your firearm and your ammunition in the boot of the car out of sight, out of mind. You know, that's the kind of sensible things that I mean. I wanted to talk about what are the, I mean, you're seeing some core issues. That was one, obviously, you just spoke about then, which yeah, absolutely is very important. Uh, what are the core issues do you think affecting gun owners in Tasmania? I know there's been some, some conversations being had, um, especially they were tossing up about appearance laws and those types of things, not based on the action, how something looks, which... You know, most of my listeners would totally condemn the, you know, those types of things, but it should be based on, you know, the action. Um, what are your thoughts in Tasmania? Is that something you'd be looking at, obviously, you know, sticking your, your hand in it to say, no, this is not good enough and, um, you know, it should be based on the action of a firearm? Absolutely. And it, I think it's defined here as firearm categorisation. Um, so, but in terms of the core issues affecting gun owners, I mean, there's a multitude of them. Right now, we're going through a regulatory impact statement uh, process in relation to stricter storage and security. Um, the government hasn't recognised that what they want to put on, put in place in terms of stricter storage, will impact greatly on on the firearm owning community, and it may even mean significant amounts of mon money simply because um, someone decides that they, that the safe they had that was legal last month or last week or last year or whenever is no longer legal with the stroke of a pen. And the the major issue that we have too is the lack of security around our data at the firearms registry. You know, the lack of knowledge of the personnel in the firearms registry in relation to the Firearms Act. Being listed on CrimTrack, although I think the federal government's just given that a nice new socially acceptable name of the National Information Firearm or National Firearms Information Exchange database or something like that, but it doesn't alter the fact that it is still a, we're all every single firearm owner in this country was listed on this this crim track. So there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of issues around in relation to uh, uh, what affects gun owners. In terms of the um, the guidelines or the categorisation guidelines or the appearance guidelines. 
there should only be one criteria and that is the action because the action is what's covered under the Firearms Act. You know, this this notion that if it looks like a machine gun, it is a machine gun is ridiculous. So, yeah. And there needs to be some some uh, some serious consideration around all of that. Yeah, some of my listeners probably would have called me on that too, basing, basing also sort of the lethality of a firearm based on its action. A lot of my listeners would say that has no bearing on it as well. Uh, the action has no bearing? Yeah, the action has no, yeah, as in, in regards to, I mean, a, a, a side-by-side shotgun is just as lethal as a, you know, 9 mil handgun or, or a uh, pump shotgun or an Adler or the similar. It shouldn't even be based on the action as well. It should be just based on, you know, types of all these category Cs and Ds. I mean, we're not seeing that in New Zealand whatsoever, and they're not having any mass shootings either. Uh, so what's the particular issue in Australia with these types of firearms, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I see where you're coming from, but look, the 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 um, firearms categorisation guidelines. You know, they're talking about pistol grips and and um, as I said, if it looks like a machine gun, it is a machine gun. Um, we, I, I just had this conversation just recently with uh, with a number of people, and the really the only way that you can the the outward appearance of a firearm has nothing to do with it. The Firearms Act deals with semi-automatic, bolt action, whatever. And so that's how else are you going to define it, you know, in, in, in a sensible, here we go again, another sensible way. But how else are you going to define it if you don't define it by the action? Or the function of the, or the, or you know, the, the particular function. So if it's semi-automatic or not. I mean, but one of the things with the guidelines at the moment, as I understand it, is that the guidelines are saying that if a single a bolt action, um, a bolt action firearm looks like a tactical firearm, then it could be prohibited in Tasmania at least, I don't know about the other states. And that's ridiculous. This is a bolt-action firearm, for heaven's sake. And it's not category C or D or whatever. It's bolt-action. But because it has a pistol grip, because it might look like a, a military style or a, or a tactical firearm, it could be prohibited. And that's what we've got to try and get around. That's what we've got to try and stop. It's interesting you were talking about, uh, which is important too, about data retention. I mean, we just saw in uh, Victoria, the Game Management Authority sent the details. I think it was about 8,000 people. They sent uh, details out to people that shouldn't have them. No doubt addresses were including as well. So, I mean, no doubt there was people's details floating around uh, with other people that shouldn't have those details and, and potentially you know, put them at risk from having their firearms stolen when they didn't choose to be. And I think the response from the GMA was, well, that, you know, that, that person was coached you know, about the issue. And I thought, wow, okay, they've been coached, fantastic. Uh, and apparently the person was very upset about that, but they did it, I'm not, I'm not sure if this was uh, the, the same person, but on eight occasions they sent out details to people that shouldn't have those details. I mean, in my opinion, the only good data is no data at all, but, you know... This is this is what this is what we're dealing with, and they're saying they're not compromised. I mean, eight thousand people out there now that have got their details floating around there with people that shouldn't have them. Yep, absolutely, and no argument for me whatsoever. Because we we've been told consistently in Tasmania that the um, data is secure. Now, as as I said to you earlier, you know, every single firearm owner in in Australia is on this what used to be called Crim Track in two thousand and thirteen fourteen. There were 70,000-plus users of CrimTrack from either police or some form of law enforcement agency. They did 35 million inquiries against CrimTrack. Now, if you've got 70,000 people that can access that data, how secure is it? I would say not very secure at all, to be honest. (laughs) You know? Exactly. I mean, mean, I'm not opposed to police, you know. I know they've got to do a job, but... You know, most of them, I'm not even keen of police coming into my house. I mean, a case in point, I had a inspection probably a year and a half, maybe two, probably two years ago. And, you know, the young fellow, he saw, I was in the army many years ago, but he saw an army photo. He goes, oh, and then we got off on the, on the right foot sort of thing. And then he's just started offering up information about, um, oh, this, just the guy that he went to before me. I would have loved his collection. He had this, this, and this. And he didn't give me exact details, obviously, but I oh, had this great rifle and this. And I'm thinking, why are you telling me that? I didn't want to be rude, obviously. But I thought, well, what's he telling the next guy about me? 
Mm. See, that's one of that's one of the things that we have a problem with here at the moment with the stricter um, stricter storage laws that uh, they're trying to get through in the in in the form of regulations. The, um, the government is saying, oh, look, it's only a couple of extra bolts or it's only a couple of this or it's only another security system or whatever. They're suggesting that it's a you know four or five dollar or six dollar fix to put an extra bolt in your safe if your safe weighs less than 150 kilograms. But what if you're not capable of doing that? What if your home is not able to be just have an extra bolt put through it? What if you're not capable of actually physically? And let's face it, there's a lot of people out there that don't know how to use a drill, for example. You know, and hypothetically, that person's me. I have to get a builder into my home or a handyman into my home to do it. Where's the security around that? Um, is the police going to give us a list of people that have security checks that will be able to come and do that? And and as you say, I mean, you you don't know the people that are coming into your home, or in your case, you had a police officer mentioning someone else's collection. It's it's. It, that's where I'm saying about the lack of data or the lack of data security, because one of the things that we have here, and I, I don't know whether you have it um, on the whether you have it on the mainland, but if when we go to do our, our gun license, we take it to um, what's called the Service Tasmania shop. Um, so our firearm license goes to Service Tasmania. Now that that data is, I guess, fairly secure there. Although there's, it's another level of people that know that that I or you know any number of other people, thirty odd thousand people, have a firearm license because they actually physically see your firearm application, your firearm license application. So we we we're contending at the moment that we should be able to lodge those with um, the firearms registry. We should be able to lodge them online. Um, there should be another form of us being able to do it rather than just rock into the to the local service Tasmania shop and present our forms, you know, um, because, um, again, where's the security around those forms? And that's what we don't know. It always seems to be when something happens, doesn't it? Uh, you know, law-abiding firearms owners cop the brunt of it. I mean, I'd be happy if the police just uh, tackled criminals stealing firearms. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, look, and that's and that's what should happen. In the situation that we have at the moment is that the, at the moment, if someone breaks into your home and takes a firearm, it's it's and and that person is caught, it's a property crime. We've advocated for a very long time that if you break into my, into my home or anybody else's home and you take a firearm, it should be a criminal offence. And that's we, we've we've been trying to get that change for a long, long time, but we just we haven't had a lot of luck at this stage, because it's not, in our view, and as my husband regularly says, it's not about the breaking and stealing the firearm. We, if someone breaks, what's worse? If someone breaks in and steals your TV, or they break in and steal your firearm, the police are going to say. The worst effect is taking is breaking in and stealing your firearm, but the reality is, the it's the break in that is the crime. Whatever what they take is irrelevant. They have broken the law by breaking into a person's home, and so that's when, if they steal a firearm, it should become a criminal offence. And particularly if that firearm's then used in a um, in in an, in in another crime. And on the other side of it. If your firearms are stolen and there's hypothetically still some left in your safe or whatever, you shouldn't be charged. Why should why should the firearm owners be charged? At in this state at least, and I think it's the same in other states, if firearms are stolen and there's still some left in the safe or whatever, you can be charged for not having your firearms secure. Well, I've been the I've been the victim of no, I haven't personally been the victim of a of a crime, but if I've been the victim of a crime where my firearms have been stolen, should, should I be charged? And the answer is no. But unfortunately, our laws don't let us um, do anything different. Don't let the police do anything different. They can come back and charge you for not having your firearms secured. That's, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's not to 
say the police don't do a good job or anything like that. It's more just for the fact that I, I don't know who these people are, regardless of just because they wear a shirt that says they're a police officer. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still human beings, and no doubt most of them you know, are, are good people. But I, I just don't feel comfortable generally with people in my house, one, that I don't know, two, they're human, they could be say anything down at the pub. I mean, look at the information he was offering to me just based on the fact that one photo of myself in, a, in camouflage clothing in the army was enough to... You know, let yes. him just start offering information about the previous person's details, which I thought was a bit. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to upset the situation. And all of a sudden, he goes, "Oh, yep, yeah, that's good. You got whatever I had at the time, and firearms. Yep, we're we're solid here." And just chat about other mm. stuff and see you later. But then, you know, he's in the front. He's in. I live in a, a townhouse complex similar, and you know, there's a, a fully marked car out the front. My neighbour comes <laughs> the next day, goes, "What's going on here? You know, we don't want any issues here because I only just moved in like about probably three months." Mm. Two, three months before that. That's obviously why they were there to check the new safe storage requirements. But he goes, oh, we don't want any issues here. I said, no, 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 it's just um, something happened something at work and they were inquiring about someone at my work. You know, I had to come up with yes. some story. But this is what <laughs> we're dealing with at the moment, you know. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's true, you know. And, and look, we had a situation here for a long time where um, – and, and look, Please don't get me wrong. I I don't have a problem with with individual police officers. I think, um, yeah, as you rightfully say, um, individual police officers are, are human. They're just doing a job. It's it's the it's the police in total, in, in you know, a, as an entity, if you like, not not individual police officers, because we have some really really good police officers in this state. There's no question about that. But it's it's them having to administer a firearms act that is letting firearm owners down. You know, we, we've had situations where, you know, uh, we've had officers in country towns actually radio the radio room and saying they're going to Joe Block's house at whatever, you know, XYZ Street and um, I'm doing a firearms check. And it was picked up, it's been picked up on a, um, a police scanner. I think that's changed now here in that I think the scanners, uh, like the radios are now encrypt, encrypted somehow now. But, you know, for a long time that was happening. That was happening here. And and I know that's accurate because I know someone that it happened to and his neighbour came out and said to him, um, the police were here to, to, to do your firearms check, mate. He said, how do you know they were going to do that? He said, heard him on the scanner. You know, this is a number of years ago, and as I say, the, the, the um, I think the radios might be encrypted now. But but that is that's another side of what we've been dealing with for a number of years. But I think it won't be long until somebody, you know, comes up with another scanner that can read encryption and stuff like that. So I mean, how how, how good the government organisations, I you know, probably as you know firsthand, generally aren't up to speed with the greatest of technologies due to you know funding issues. So I'm sure it won't be long until yeah. someone. You know, gets a scanner exactly. that's able to do that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, next question here. Oh, so we'll go through because you you brought up some really good things there, actually, which was great. Now, I'm going to throw a few hard ones at you here. Now, uh, self defence with uh, pepper spray. I know Jeff Borman, one of your colleagues in uh, Victoria, has been pretty outspoken about self defence in uh, Victoria. Now, I think, and most of my listeners, uh, and I believe this wholeheartedly, because I'm just every day I read a story about someone's home being broken into. Um, you know, we've got elderly people being bashed. We've got major issues down in uh, Victoria with the Apex gang. I mean, you know, I just read one story the other day which just, just freaked me out. You know, a young lady just uh, riding her bike down the street, you know, obviously doing some fitness, something along those lines. You know, uh, two you know, African Sudanese people took to her with a, a box cutter. Um, and even the police said this is, you know, even they were freaked out because they said this is nothing like with the damage this poor woman you know, it was just re- reprehensible. They, even in their, in their years of policing, it was just disgusting. The 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 injuries to this person. So, I mean, what what's the SFP's uh, Tasmania's position on self defence? Either be, the bare minimum with pepper spray, but also at least in the home to be able to defend ourselves with a firearm. I think it's a fundamental, you know, freedom and human right that we should be able to do that. I don't really know what the position is in terms of self defence from shooters and fishers. Um, my personal view is that um, we should be able to defend ourselves. Um, I'm particularly given the crime spree that's happening at the moment. We're probably very fortunate in Tasmania, though. Um, we don't seem to have the attacks that 
that um, is experienced in you know Victoria and New South Wales and places like that. Um, I, I don't doubt for one minute that it's only a matter of time and we will start seeing some of them, but we certainly don't see the the, the home invasions and the and the like here. Um, in terms of being armed with pepper spray, I don't know very much about it to be honest, and I, I don't know whether it would be um, from a female perspective. Would it be of assistance? I I don't know. I, I it's this is not really a, a question that I can answer off the cuff. I don't think. I think I have to give it a fair bit of consideration. I'd like to um, ask you a question. There was a, 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 a which is quite well known case. Um, you know, is this where pepper spray may or may not have worked? Some people say you know, people the 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 firearm or or potential item they're carrying can be taken off them. And, and used by the criminal. Now, there was a big case of, you'd be well aware of this one, I'm sure. Jill Ma was raped and murdered by 22-time rapist Adrian Ernest Bailey, who was uh, out on parole, subsequently killed her. I'm sure the, the, the position, I'm sure her husband, or well, future husband, they weren't married at the time, obviously, and they never got married because she was obviously killed. But um, the, the, the position for her, I'm sure, would have been, and would have been my position, I would have, she would have liked to have had something to be able to defend yourself. Obviously, she was out drinking at the time. Perhaps a firearm may not have been you know, trying to, you know, uh, tackle a firearm at the time may not have been an issue, but if she had something like pepper spray, I mean, she may still be alive today. I mean, I'm sure the government's, mor- you know, morally superior position was, you know, unarmed and helpless. But, I mean, I'm sure she would, if she was still alive, she would agree, and her husband would agree. This would have been great if she had something for self-defence. Look, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. But, is it, but isn't, the, isn't the wider issue here the fact that the, um, the judicial system let her down by allowing Absolutely, this guy yep. out on, on, yep. on parole. So it, so it's not really it, – it's, it's yes, I agree that her family and her and everybody else would say, yes, if she was able to be armed with something um, in, in terms of self-defence, that would – you know, there's obviously an argument for that. But I think the bigger argument – is the judicial system letting letting people down by allowing these type of people back on the street? Yeah, that's that's. I think we can agree with that. Put them in jail. I'm happy that they you know sit in jail for the rest of their lives. To be honest, mm. I just don't know why mm, a, a, a major rapist was out on parole and able to kill again. It's just reprehensible. But this is another it brings up that issue too. I guess with you know outside of shooting, but the the courts not imposing these restrictions on these people. Um, but I mean, even first time offenders. I guess you. Ne- someone always says to me, well, "Well, why do you need a firearm for self defence?" And I said, "Why do you need home insurance?" You know. <laughs> And they say sort of, well, you know, well, if my house burns down, I said, well, you exactly. He goes, but my house doesn't, I said, you don't need it until you need it, do you? You know, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory. I don't need to defend myself. And some people say, well, why would you be so paranoid? I mean, there was just a lady a couple of years back, three, four years back in my local area, about 10 minutes from me, you know, walk, a nurse walking home from work. She was a young Indian lady or Sri Lankan, something along those lines. She's walking through the park. I mean, same thing, murdered by someone in a park while she was on the phone, you know, to, to her husband. I mean, it's just outrageous. It's just, you know. But, most, but again, I come back to the point that most of, those, most of those incidences are committed by people that shouldn't be on the street. They're either on parole or they've been let out of prison on good behaviour or whatever. Um, I, I fully appreciate that there, there's examples around the world, and I think there's one state in America where it's really, really easy to get um, a licence to carry, I think they're called. And, you know, they have such low incidences of crime in that particular state. I can't think what the state is. I mean, there's, there's, there's um, countries in Europe where it's mandatory to have a firearm um, and there's fairly low crime rate in, in those countries. So there probably is an argument, you know, there probably is an argument for it. But in the current political climate in Australia um, since 1996, I think the chances of getting any sort of law that allows self-defence with a firearm is fairly remote. Yeah, your husband said he likes his duck shooting, um, loves to go hunting for those little tasty quackers. Now, in New Zealand, they have um, access to you know pump-action shotguns, for an example. The government's trying to make out now the Adler <laughs> shotgun is some sort of you know uh, rapid-fire weapon, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's unbelievable, really. Now, the New Zealanders, our, our friendly folk over across the across the ocean there they have access you know to go duck shooting with semi-automatics for your average person you know five shots 
pump-action shotguns, fantastic. I own one myself. Um, you know, they, they have, you know, uh, semi-automatic rifles. Uh, they, they haven't had a mass shooting since very early 1997. Um, would that work here? And does SFFP Tasmania support those types of firearms? I guess not only in Tasmania, but in Australia. Not sure about how we'd go with semi-automatics, but um, certainly pump action. There's a push by the farmer, the farmer lobby, to uh, have pump action put into Cat B, um, and so I think that's that's probably a good move. I mean, at the end of the day, what's I, I think I don't have a problem with, with pump action. I don't have a problem with any firearm, to be perfectly honest. And I'm seriously, seriously um, annoyed that I had to lose my semi-auto. I had a, a Remington 1187 skeet gun, which is uh, automatic, semi-automatic action. Never be anything else but a two-shot. But, you know, the law, when they changed the laws in 96, of course, I had to relinquish it because simply because it was a semi-automatic action. Um I don't know how we go. I mean, what's the, the difference with... between New Zealand and Australia that it wouldn't work here? What is the difference between Australia, Australia, and New Zealand that it wouldn't work here? Probably politicians in New Zealand who understand firearm ownership. I mean, that that, that that's the big issue that we've got here. The, yeah. the politicians that we have in Tasmania and I think in other parts of the country don't understand firearm ownership. That's really the reality of it. They have no idea about firearm ownership. And they have no idea what our firearms mean to us. They have no idea of the value of our firearms. They've got, they've just got no idea. I mean, I think New Zealand, um, they started out with um, a registry where you actually had to register your firearms, um, like each firearm had been done, and they disbanded that. I mean, Canada disbanded it because it was a huge impost on the taxpayer, and Canada disbanded it. And I, and I think it's probably time that they they thought about it here. The problem that I see in Tasmania, though, is that um, because the um, events at Port Arthur were the catalyst for the new firearm laws, if you like, it would probably be seen to be watering down the laws. And um, and and that would, um, I don't think we have politicians at the moment who are strong enough to stand up and say, no, it is not watering down the laws. What it is, is creating laws that are, that are again, sensible, laws that people can abide by, not make, not, not make them um, beyond, uh, you know, beyond the scope of most people to be able to deal with. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people understand that it's, it's going to be like, it's not something that, you know, some people say it may never happen. Some people say, obviously, it's not something that would happen overnight. But I guess, you know, it's a consistent message. I think voters want to see a consistent message. I mean, uh, in New South Wales, there's a question I had for you as well. New South Wales, we've seen some uh, SFFP reps say some, you know, things that were quite contrary to gun ownership. And some people even said that, you know, quite anti-gun comments about Australians, uh, uh, or hunters and shooters not having access to uh, semi-automatic weapons. It happened on more than one occasion. So we'd like to... Well, hang on. Well, can I just stop you there? Please don't call them weapons. Weapons are, weapons are, I have a major, major problem with firearms, with our firearms being called weapons, the, because there are any number of weapons available. A golf club's a weapon, a cricket bat's a weapon. But, uh, and yes, our, our military style firearms could be defined as weapons, but our firearms, our recreational firearms, um, and my, my competition firearms are just that. They are firearms. They are not a weapon. I do not use them against other people. Totally. Sorry. I've got, no, I've got it written here, actually. I don't know why. So it was actually got semi-automatic firearms I've got. But it's more the consistent approach. So how, how is the SFP Tasmania? Is it going to, they going to maintain a consistent message? Because it seems that I've talked to uh, Rick Mazza in the past from WA. I've had a chat with Daniel Young from Victoria. And it seems to be just sort of concentrated in New South Wales at the moment. And my listeners would sort of, well, they have on many occasions, condemn those sort of comments. And, you know, it's not on a one occasion. So we, is SFP Tasmania going to be consistent on these issues? I think so. I, I, you know, that we've got um, we've got some really good, really good people in um, in uh, Shooters and Fishers Tasmania who who have a really good approach to firearm ownership. Um, they understand um, firearm ownership, and they're trying very, very hard to advocate with the government. You know what firearm ownership means to people, and we and I think that's the message we have to get across. 
If that means people owning semi-automatics, if it means people owning pump actions, if it means people owning Adlers, then so be it. They should be allowed to do it. And at, at the end of the day, does it matter what the firearm is? If I if I've been through the firearm licensing process, if I'm deemed a fit and proper person, if I can um, demonstrate a need for a particular firearm, what does it matter what it is? Does it matter if it's a a bolt action, a twenty two bolt action, or a you know a, a side by a, a double barrel shotgun, or under and over, or side by side? Take your pick. Um, does it matter if it's an Adler? Does it matter if it's a you know a five shot semi automatic or a pump action? Of course it doesn't, because I've been through the process to de- to determine under the Act, that I am a fit and proper person to own a firearm. So it doesn't really matter what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of shooters, I mean, even some now still vote for I'm not sure why, but I guess each person to, to their own, they you know feel let down, you know, by obviously the major parties for one, but they don't also don't want to feel like they're being lied to by, or, you know, by pro-gun parties, not whether it's just the SFP, mm. it could be uh, One Nation that might be pro-gun, could be the uh, uh, Liberal Democrats, for an example, it could be a number of parties that don't want to be let down by their pro-gun parties, especially when... You know, a lot of yourself, obviously, too, and, you know, trying to you know, fight the good fight to continue gun ownership in this country. Mm. Look, I, I guess I'd be really disappointed if um, Shooters and Fishers Tasmania took a different stance to to mine in relation to uh, to firearm owners, um, to firearm ownership in this state. Um, I don't have any any doubt at all that we're all that we're on the same page, certainly in Tasmania. It's probably disappointing for me to hear that you know you've got people in New South Wales that well sugars and fishes uh, representatives in New South Wales that um, are speaking a different notion. Um, it again though it's not like sugars and fishes again. It's not about just the one issue about firearm ownership. You know sugars and fishes need to that they they have got a number of other policies as I said earlier, um, and it, it's just but we do need. By virtue of the name, we do need to have a positive approach to recreational pursuits, be they hunting or fishing or competition shooting, firearm ownership in general, the ability to go and catch a fish when you want to or whatever. So that's that's the, 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 the approach that I'm taking as the shooter and fisher party person. Yeah, all right, good question here. Let's say... Uh, in in firearms, we'll stick. That's what the the topic of this show is. So we'll stick with that. What's the say two to three maybe issues or priorities? You know, if you were elected, what were the first things you'd take to government, and what results can we expect? Um, I guess the thing is, um, the the thing that I guess people have to understand in terms of the legislative council, and I'm sure they do. I mean, what you've just asked is really a question for the lower house election where you can make statements in relation to party policies and, and what you'd like to achieve. In terms of a Legislative Council election, the Legislative Council is the House of Review. And so I I see not about two or three issues. It's about being able to tackle laws around our recreational pursuits, particularly because that's, that's really the party. But... In, in terms of other things, I mean, the, the party wants to look at, at um, education um, about, it's about um, hunt, not about, not just about hunting, it's about environment, it's about um, healthcare, you know, and being affordable healthcare in, uh, in rural areas. So the party's got a number of different areas that they would like to tackle but they probably need to get someone or two or three, whatever, into the lower house to bring those bills through to the Legislative Council. So in terms of my role as far as if I was to get elected to the Legislative Council, it's really only being able to look at those bills that come through from the lower house. So the party needs to get people elected at the next state election to bring through their bills to, that suit their policies. Who will you work with, I guess, to achieve, you know, outcomes for shooters? Will you work with anyone, you know, willing to work with you if you were to be elected? 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, in in the upper house, of course, in the Legislative Council, the majority of people in the Legislative Council are independents. Um, there's a couple, there's, at the moment, there's a couple of Liberal and a couple of Labor, I think, from memory. But the majority are independents. And so um, you, you have the ability to be able to debate uh, within the Legislative Council and take your ideas to those people. So it will be the independents. But in terms of working with the lower house, I don't care who. Um, if someone, if, if whoever will listen, basically, just on a side note, sorry if I'm a bit naive on this one. I don't follow hugely in Tasmania, but I probably should. They've got public land hunting down there. Where do they Where do they only hunt, uh, like your husband, ducks? Is it on private property or is it on public land? He hunts on what's called, on a place called Malting Lagoon, which is a Ramsar site in, uh, uh, on the east coast. So there's, um, there's both um, like crown land, if you like, or public land and private property as well. So they have both, yeah. Um, I think the deer hunters do the same. I think they have the, the they have the ability to hunt on private property. There's a number of different um, deer hunting, um, like farms that have, if you like, deer hunting um I don't want to call them clubs, but you know they have they have a deer hunting groups that actually go. They're actually assigned, if you like, to a farm, and and they they have very strict rules around how they hunt on that particular farm or whatever. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting one, and I don't know if some of these parties are going to be uh, you know, registered to participate uh, in Tasmania, obviously, when the election rolls around, but uh, what would, why should Tasmanians vote for the SFP? What can you offer over, say, alternative pro-gun parties as uh, One Nation and or Liberal Democrats? Uh, for this particular election coming up, I don't believe One Nation or um, Liberal Democrats are actually fielding anybody. I know One Nation are actively pursuing candidates for the uh, for the next for the next state election and there's some conjecture when the next state state election for the lower house will be on I mean uh, it's due I think May 2018 but there's I think it's around May might even be a bit later but there's some conjecture that that it will happen in November this year November 2017 so certainly one nation and and uh, Liberal Democrats are um, are working very hard to get candidates for the state for the state election for this election coming up, as I said, um, I don't believe there there's going to be anybody um, from either of those parties. Um, Shirts and fishes, I think we're just um, the, what I what, what I can offer as the uh, as the and fisher candidate is uh, someone that the people can come to. You know, I think um, my track record in local government is that I've always been very approachable um, and I will listen to people. I will try and get their answer. I'll try and get an answer to whatever their problem is. I will debate with them, talk through, do whatever. And so I think um, being approachable is probably the most, um, the, the best attribute that any politician, it doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter whether you're local government or, or state government or federal government, you have to be approachable, and um, I think that's probably the the one attribute as a shooters and fishers candidate that I would bring to this. Yep. Uh, to finish off, we uh, my listeners always love to hear a uh, story. Now it could be a uh, clay target story because obviously I wrote hunting on there as well. It could be a hunting story, but you said anything fun that's happened, anything you can share with us to finish off a little bit of an interesting story, maybe. Um, well, as I said, I went hunting once, and that that was. That was probably um, the catalyst for taking up uh, or continuing in play target shooting. But I think probably um, one of the better things that's happened is um, my husband, I decided I wanted to shoot skate. I hadn't, I'd shot trap for a very, very long time. And for whatever reason, I just decided, I, I watched Glenn shoot skate and I decided I wanted to shoot skate. So he's my coach and he, uh, we went off to the skate field and several times. I just couldn't get it at all. And one day in absolute frustration, desperation, any other word you can think of, he said to me, you know, you're probably harder to teach to shoot skeet than it's been to teach the retriever to get ducks. <laughs> However, he persevered. He persevered. And today I don't shoot skeet very often, but I can shoot a reasonable score. I don't think I'll ever be anything uh, much more than a C-grade skeet shooter, but but I love it. I love skeet. Um you know, and I guess I was throughout throughout competition shooting. I mean, I've I've been incredibly lucky. I mean, Glenn and I've shot in um, 
every state in Australia, um, New Zealand, uh, we're shot on Norfolk Island and in Canada. And, you know, we, we've, we've travelled a lot, so shooting's been very, very good to us. Um, I went to my first ever national titles in 1995 in Melbourne, thinking that it was going to be um, a precursor, learning to shoot at a nationals because, I mean, as your listeners who are competition shooters know, um, nationals is a whole different ball game regardless of what discipline you shoot, whether it's shotgun, rifle or pistol, but nationals is a, a whole different ball game. And I went off to the nationals in 1995 with Glenn uh, as a member of the state ladies' trap team, thinking this will be good. It'll give me a bit of experience because they are state to, uh, the, our state in those days, the nationals moved around the states, and uh, Tasmania was to host the nationals in 1996. And I won a few things. This was, it was in Melbourne in 1995. I won a few things. I won a second in the ladies' double barrel and a second in the ladies' single barrel, and a few other things. And I really wanted to shoot well in the in the double rise. I had actually shot. Um, I'd actually won the state double rise here in open competition, uh, so uh, against the guys, if you like, in 1994. So I really wanted to win the lady, the national ladies double rise. So if I went to the nationals to win anything, it was that. And I, uh, one of the girls that was um, competing uh, from Tasmania, she, we were, I was shooting the nationals, the, the double rise, and one of the girls was following me along, and I thought, you know, what's going on, and the um, referee was a Tasmanian and uh, we got about halfway through and, and we were changing uh, stations and or changing ranges, actually. And uh, he said to me, don't blow it, Cheryl, you know, you can do it. And I thought, yeah, he's right, I can. Finished the, the double rise and um, uh, the lass that was uh, following us along, she came out and she said to me, what did you shoot? I said, 42. She said, ah, oh, someone shot a 43. I went, oh damn, there goes my national ladies double rise. She said, it's okay, Cheryl, you've just won national ladies high gun, which was the, the top shooter out of the six or seven days of competition in the ladies. I had apparently been one target in front of a, of a New South Wales shooter um, for the whole competition, basically, going into the into the double rise, and I finished one target in front of her, and I, I finished up national ladies high gun that particular year and I made the um, Australian ladies Macintosh team as well that year and I shot high gun on that um, and it was at the time it was I was standing there I, I when I shot in the Macintosh team um, when I shot in teams I always wore a pink t-shirt for whatever reason and please don't ask me why I'm not a clue but I always wore a pink t-shirt so I uh, had my pink T-shirt on to shoot in the uh, Macintosh team and was waiting to get my medal for high gun on that particular team. And I happened to look down at my shirt. I said to Glenn, can you give me a jacket, please? He had um, just a, like a windbreaker jacket on. Give me a jacket, please. He said, why do you want my jacket? And I said, well, I can't exactly get the... Um, the high gun medal for the Australian Macintosh team wearing a New Zealand Clay Target Association T-shirt because the only the only pink T-shirt I had at the time was one that I'd bought in New Zealand. So, you know, there, there's been lots of really, really great things like that. You know, as I said, I won the the, uh, the state double rise here and uh, in the open competition. And when they put my name on the on the trophy, they put Mrs. C. Arnold rather than just C. Arnold because, I mean, let's face it, C could have been, C could be anything. Um, so, and I shot off that time with uh, two of Australia's, or three of Australia's top shooters, um, one of whom was uh, the late Sperry Marshall, who with uh, his uh, brother Paul are arguably two of the Tasmania's top shooters. And um, I actually shot a possible in the uh, in the shoot-off and won the open competition. And one of the Victorian shooters came up to me and he said, I'm not sure you realise what you've done, but you've just beaten the two times national double rise title holder. And he didn't bank on a little B 
grey bird in pink pants. So, you know, there's been lots, lots of really, really, um, I shoot A grade now, and um, but, you know, in those days, that was a B grade shooter. But, you know, there's been lots of things like that that's happened over the years. Um, you say Glenn's always been my coach. And, uh, yeah, so we've had, had lots of lots of fun. We've had lots and lots of fun, um, firearm ownership. So firearm ownership to me, I mean, I've been a firearm owner in my own right for 40 one years, 42 years, and uh, it's incredibly important to me. Um, oh, actually, I should tell you the story about um, duck hunting, shouldn't I? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you guys have got you guys have got this guy Laurie Levy in Victoria. You know, he's hey, hey, hey. I'm from New South Wales. Uh, Victoria, <laughs> Victoria can claim Laurie Levy for themselves. <laughs> okay, there's a guy in Victoria called Laurie Levy who's very much Andy Duck. Yeah, we know. I happen to be the I happen to be mayor of the council at the time, and uh, it was duck season, and uh, we we had heard that um, Mr. Levy and a few other people were coming over to protest about the duck hunting. At the time, I happened to be the um, national president of the Field and Game Federation of Australia. I held that role for a couple of, a couple of um, oh, about eight years. I, I was uh, Field and Game Federation president. And as an aside, I'd never shot sporting clays. I was a DTL shooter, but they didn't hold that against me. They kept electing me as, as president. But anyway, so we found out, and, today, and I was national president of the, of the organisation, and um, I said to Glenn, or Glenn said about Laurie Levy going up there and, and uh, I said, well, you know what, I had to come up on opening morning. So I got up at some ridiculous hour and drove up to Malting Lagoon and uh, was on the on the bank. When I arrived, all the media's there. And because the media knew me from being, because I was the mayor and a couple of the guys said, you know, what are you doing here, Cheryl? Well, I'm not here as the mayor, I'm here as... Uh, National President of the Food and Game Federation. I want to speak to Mr. Levy. All right, okay. Well, he's out on the on the lagoon there somewhere, and a little bit later in the morning, he came in. Well, nothing suited me better. I rocked out, hand out. Morning, Laurie. Cheryl Arnold, National President of the Food and Game Federation of Australia. I'd like to talk to you about duck hunting. Well, quite honestly, you could have put my shotgun lengthways in his mouth. His mouth opened, just dropped open, because he did not expect five foot nothing me as the national president of a hunting shooting organization probably one of the better one of the better things i've done in terms of the media not bad not bad the old uh, laurie <laughs> levy yeah i've actually interviewed laurie levy on this show actually oh have you you'd oh, there be you go. surprised yes yes uh... yeah there you go good yeah oh look he was very oh I'll be honest and say, Jason, he was very gracious. He really was. He he sat, stood on the bank of Molten Glagoon and talked to me for quite a long time, and and then I did an interview with our with our local media, of course. And uh, but he he was very gracious in his in in the way he spoke to me. So I was I was happy about that. Uh, anything to finish off? You know, people want to get in contact with you, or uh, not necessarily oh. you. Maybe the um, you know. Adrian, who uh, put put me onto this interview, I'll give I'll give him a bit of a shout out, yeah, because he uh, might have kept words with Adrian about that. <laughs> yeah, he um, um, nice look, fella. I've had his wife on the show, so very very lovely people. Those two, uh, Adrian and his wife Shauna. So. Absolutely, that's what I say. You know, we've got some really really good people in shooting shooters and fishers Tasmania, and and um, and look, I'd. Love to be the next member for Romney um, as as the Shooters and Fishers candidate. So all I can really do is ask the electors in that area to give some real consideration to how they vote in May. Um, check out Shooters and Fishers Tasmania's website for more information on their policies. Um, and as, as I said earlier, it, you know, it just might surprise people that Shooters, the Shooters Party and now Shooters and Fishers have been around since 1992 or thereabouts. And I think it was about 19, uh, no, 2016 when they became Shooters, Fishers and Farmers. And that probably just highlights the growing angst towards mainstream parties by rural and regional Australia. And I think, you know, the people of, I guess the final thing is the people of Romney have one vote, so make your shot count. Yep. Is it Romney or Rumney? Rumney, are you? Rumney, R-U-M-N-E-Y, Rumney, yes. There you go, yes. folks. Uh, you've got someone to vote for in that area, so someone that's pro-gun, so have a look and uh, make your decision. So that's good stuff. So Cheryl Arnold joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast representing these shooters, 
Fishers and Farmers Party. Tasmania, Cheryl, thanks for your time. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.